Hello, Billy Reeves here. Welcome to the K-Scope Podcast 159. It's the height of summer. We'll hear Daniel Tompkins of Tesseract speak and sing a little bit later on. We'll hear new music from Envy of None, new music from Gleb Kolyadin of I Am The Morning. And we'll also hear our friend Bruce Sword speak and sing The Pineapple Thief, the first of a series of deluxe book sets cataloguing their metier how did we find our way? This from that private paradise.
Private Paradise, The Pineapple Thief, from the new book set, How Did We Find Our Way, 1999 to 2006. Of course, from the album Abducting the Unicorn, as it was originally called, renamed Abducted at Birth. Uh, It was called Abducting the Unicorn because the Pineapple Thief were originally called Vulgar Unicorn. Vulgar Unicorn. Brilliant. I popped down to see Bruce Sword in the flesh for the first time in a few years in his brand new studio at the bottom of his garden where he's just received his copy of How Did We Find Our Way? Unboxing. Let's begin then. Unboxing. When you unbox something on the TikToks, you're creating the desire. But is it super cheesy? Is that what you're saying? Well, it's just, you know, when they say, look, Bruce, can you do an unboxing? It's like, oh, no, not another (laughs) unboxing. How can I make this unboxing? really special you know what angle but you can't I just well, unboxed you op- it you can open the box and there's not a pineapple tree <laughs> yeah. book set in there there's and then like, talk about that <laughs> yeah, there's a James last <laughs> or, or a packet of Jaffa cakes <laughs> just eat that there's a couple of ideas for you what is it like and I mean we've discussed this before first and foremost is do you think the um, the main consumer of this will be someone of how do we find our way would be someone that's catching up uh, with the Pineapple Thief's music, or are you also, or is it for the hardcore fans as well? I think I think it's probably a bit of both. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot of hardcore um, immersive audio people that, okay. are, that will buy it just because it's got everything in Atmos and five point one mm. uh, eight hours, yeah, which are barely fat fit fat barely <laughs> fit on the on the Blu-ray. It's got to be mm. the biggest Blu-ray ever. Um, okay. In terms in, of bits, ter- yeah. In terms of how much we crammed on it, right? Um, and I, yeah, but I also think you know that people that that probably discovered us two thousand and sixteen onwards, mm. you know, the Gavin Harrison era. This this would be something that they're like, oh, you know, this the, this was a period that that defined us, really. Yeah, no, very much so. And what is it like going back? Is it like reading an old diary, like a teenager reading their diary, psychologically, going back to this old material? I, psychologically, it was a very strange <laughs> experience. Could you, I mean, could you separate yourself from it if you no. were doing a lot of the knob twiddling on it? No, well, it was just really, really weird because you're taking, as soon as you open these, well, for a start, it was all done in technology that was a, back in the first album, 1999. So we're talking yeah, well. Windows 98 and, yeah. you know, with technology <clears> just... It, it it doesn't compute now. You don't just open it and it goes, bing, mm. there it is. So I had to rebuild a machine um, that was like the one I had in 1999 with all the software on it that I could, because I didn't have the foresight to print all the songs. Well, you wouldn't, would you? you just No, well, I didn't think I'd ever be doing this kind yeah. of thing when it started. Uh, I did have the, thankfully, I did back everything up, so I had wow. all the songs. Wow. Yeah, I know. On, on how? These like old right, drive CDs. Oh, right. Wow. CDRs. That, that hadn't, like, Well, they, I got them all <gasps> out and they were yellow, you know, like, and just, and I put them in and I was just fingers crossed. Yeah, because they, they do degrade. Yeah, they do, yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. luckily they all read and I'm, and so. Fudge. It was a massive job to get, get the sessions up. And then when I got the sessions up, it was like, oh, this is, I just, it just reminded me of what it was like yeah. in 1999. Even things like when you, like, go into vocal takes and you like extend the intro and you can hear me walking into the room and the cat jumping oh, around wow. and my girlfriend shouting at me yeah. and so it, all of a sudden it's like whoa this is weird wow. so yeah it was but strange so, so it just goes to show I guess that um, you do need to have stuff uh, on hard 
things that you can hold in your hand and because you you're talking at that time where you were just coming out of tape Yes. So none of it went. None of it went. Was down no, on tape. It was just after tape, um, but it really, really at the dawn of being able to do stuff at home. Right. I mean, okay. obviously you had eight track and stuff in in the seventies, yeah, yeah. but this was the first time that you had, you know, affordable sort of digital recording. It was quite mm. rudimentary, and you did have to be a bit of a nerd, really. <laughs> you had to know yourself, get your, uh, uh, your way around computers and all yeah. that, and you still had to have hardware samplers and and small little desks and things like that so it was still technically quite challenging um does that make you more creative do you think i think it's too many toys now it does yeah Yeah, definitely it's too easy now because you can (laughs) whatever you want you know you can get but a lot of the a lot of the time now my uh, limited experience of modern studios with yourself and rich from hardfire basically all the plugins is that a lot of the time you're kind of um mocking analog equipment you're kind of trying to make it sound like it was it's recorded on tape absolute industry is is it, most of the things you see are just replica you know they're replica, replicas yeah. of these amazing you know here's this amazing valve compressor that we got from blah blah studio and it's so authentic and blah. and so and you can get so lost lost yeah. in it so i've got this uh, i've got this rule that I will spend, <laughs> when I'm starting a new project, I will go and I do a bit of you know shopping, go and see, oh, what's new? And then I'll go and download all these plugins and I'll mm. um, test them all out. And before I get too lost, I'll just pick a few and then I shut, yeah, because shut you, the door. Yeah, because you can have, you can have a, like a, a, my understanding is you can have a kind of a trial period yeah. on, a, on a plugin before you buy the, yeah, before buy you permanently, or yes. do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I, so yeah, you, you check them all out. I mean. My my mixes have got a lot better over the years. I don't know whether how much of it is to do with these amazing authentic you know valve <laughs> plugins I've got, or just you, you know as a craft. What's the essential bit of kit? Do you think is it the guitar? Is it the uh, what's the, what's the absolute? What could you not live without? If this, I mean, here we are in this beautiful in you know your your country mansion yeah. studio what you know if this burnt down what would you run in and oh, retrieve what i've learned and i this was something that a lot of engineers always said in the early days and i'll just go oh shut up that's just rubbish <laughs> um is that it really is this down to what you what you've got in your hand right, and okay. i didn't realize that so i i was like in the early days i was, had my acoustic guitar i said well, why don't my acoustic guitar sound like this really amazing guitars and now I've got some really amazing acoustic guitars, yeah. and funnily enough, they sound really nice. Is that because is that because you learned to play on inferior equipment? So then you're given a tailor, and you think actually this is nice. you're given a nice American um, Telecaster, and maybe yeah, you've, you've learned you've, your craft. You've, yeah, you know, I've yeah, on crappy gear. Yes, yes, a rite of passage. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, so that would be it. It was just you stick a mic in front of a really nice thing. And magically, it's, it sounds all right. <laughs> Playing this sort of this kind of this kind of music, this genre of music, this style of music, um, how have you over the years not injured yourself? Because I mean, it's an extraordinary. It's extraordinary. It's not. It's not visceral. It's. It involves a lot of technique. It involves a lot of twiddling your um, twiddling your fingers. Gavin Harrison's hundred fifty thousand drums. How do you mm. not injure yourself? Well, I mean, obviously you're all the Donnesses, but beyond yes, that. yes. Well, I, I mean, I'm lucky. I, I think with the Pineapple Thief, we were never that kind of hundred miles an hour c- kind of band. A lot of notes, though. Yes, yes. And I, I, I don't know. You know, I, one of the things that struck me when I was going through these, the, the, what it was six albums and the mm. two bonus albums, is how the hell I actually did it. 
at yeah. the time how did yeah, i do because yeah. it was so much stuff and you know, i had a day job back then as yeah. well so how i crammed it in and how i actually did those records i think i had i averaged every sort of eight two years or 18 months two years a new album would come out yeah. so yeah i just i think it's i just never stopped <laughs> don't know why <laughs> you kept yourself alive yeah it's amazing that you've not had an injury Yeah. 
It's the first of a series of deluxe book sets cataloguing The Pineapple Thief's output. It's entitled How Did We Find Our Way 1999 to 2006. That song is called Snowdrops, originally from A Little Man. My thanks to Bruce Sword for his time and for the tea. There's some more Bruce Sword interview action coming up later in the year. Our all-star group from Italy and Canada. Envy of None featuring Alex Lifeson of Rush, Andy Curran, vocalist Maya Wynn, Alf Annibalini have a new EP out right now called That Was Then, This Is Now.
Envy of None from the EP That Was Then, This Is Now. That is called That Was Then. And the video for that track has recently dropped. Check that out. It is amazing. The EP then out now on K-Scope. There was a picture disc version of that for Record Store Day. Not sure there's any left, but might be worth checking with your local dealer. Daniel Tompkins up next, probably best known as the singer of Tesseract. Now, I've been speaking to the group of late ahead of some very exciting news, which you'll hear about in the next K-Scope podcast. The last we heard of Daniel, of course, was as a solo artist with the album Castles, which begat Ruins, the heavy version of that material, and a live stream of the latter, which is out on digital platforms now. Now, I've been doing some lecturing on music and PR at the BIM Institute recently, and I also released a solo album, Nostalgia of the Future, which I've learned a lot from McKayscope chums on how to do both those things. So with the university lecturing in mind, I used Tesseract as an example of a group that have gradually moved forward by doing other things, by having a side hustle whilst they got their original material together. So I've asked all of Tesseract about that. Advice for young musicians. Here's what Dan had to say. Yes, I think you do do have to side hustle to begin with. Um, You've got to find an avenue within music which is going to help you bring in some pocket money. Um, I would say it helps to get into it sooner rather than later, Mm -hmm. especially before you have those big financial commitments as an adult, um, which I got completely wrong. And I did it the opposite way. Uh, but that's helpful. Um, I think you've obviously got to be very willing to go out there and promote your music. And I still feel like the wor- word of mouth today is still very valuable. So I think being out there on the road and touring and making friends and being personable, with um, being very open and creating and cultivating a following is still incredibly important. Because I think people fall into the illusion that it's all about TikTok and social media and getting recognised. And it really isn't. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are examples of artists that have um, broken through and garnered a big following from social media, but it is few and far between. There are not many artists that manage to get successful and get very lucky with social media. Um, most people don't care, I find, um, unless, unless you're willing to be a content creator and be at the grind trying to compete with what's the latest trend I would say for me that 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 is not where I like to sit. I want to be a creator and I've always wanted to just do Tesseract or just sing. And I also had the illusion that actually being in a rock and metal band meant that I would have financial stability when I first started. And of course, we all know that that's not a thing. Um, But I learned to sing. I learned my craft and I began to teach people my craft uh, after, you know, garnering a very trusting and loyal fan base. And... I think that, I always remember this, I had um, um, an old manager of mine from a long time ago once told me that if you, you can make it as an artist if you, if you can garner a thousand loyal fans that will buy yeah. every CD, that will buy every piece of merchandise that you put out. So if you think about it, that's not that difficult to achieve in the grand scheme of things, a thousand people, is it? I mean, you just got to put your focus into your music and your art and believe in it and want to do it, that's the main thing.
Ruins the Live Experience, Daniel Tompkins. That's the title track, which is now available to hear via your favourite digital platform. Now, talking of live, myself and a K-Scope deputation thoroughly enjoyed God Sticks on the London leg of their tour in support of their new album, This Is What A Winner Looks Like, up there in Camden Town at the glamorous Camden Assembly. So a chance to catch up with the boys afterwards uh, to talk about the material they chose. There was a lot of old stuff, some stuff from the new album. So I grabbed uh, Darren Charles, uh, the main man, to chat about something that we'd been talking about in the interview that featured in the recent K-Scope podcast about the new bass player, uh, Frankie G, and whether or not he was allowed to use his six-string any other group breaking in a new bass player would stick to the new stuff and you've taught him the entire repertoire. Well, I didn't talk, uh, I've ensured that he's learned the entire repertoire because had I not been there cracking my whip, would have done exactly as he felt uh, fitted the song. He was allowed six strings. Do you know what? What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? Something's got to be done about it. It really irritates me with that. There is an irritant. Uh, there is, because like, I automatically lose respect for any player, any bass player that's got six strings. It's like, it's going to business. That's what you use that six string for. It's no melody instrument. It's not a melody instrument. It's not a melody instrument. No one ever said, oh, you know, like, have you ever, let's use the, here's the test, right? Imagine a little house party, right? You have a little house party. I'm imagining that. Right? No one have ever says, hey, Francis, pick up that bass and play us something, have they? No one has ever said that, have they? Well, let's ask no him. No one has ever well, said let's that. Ask him. Let's ask no him. One has ever let's said ask him. Have you been at a party where someone said, Francis, pick up that bass and give us a tune? Yeah, at my house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Will I get 
If I Don't Take It All, the opening track of God Sticks's new album, This Is What A Winner Looks Like. My thanks to Darren and the chaps from the group for the chat afterwards. It was a brilliant gig and tremendously sweaty. And talking of brilliant gigs, did anyone see the Anchoress performing two songs with childhood heroes Manic Street Preachers at the Glastonbury Festival uh, recently? That was absolutely amazing. Right, before I go, your K-Scope news. Osric Tentacles and Gong, a co-headline tour in March. The Last Blast, Tangerine Dreamer in the UK for a tour in November. Empire, our new bugs, are out rocking through the UK in the next few weeks in July with the damn truth and festivals as well. The Anchoress has just finished a large UK tour and Catherine Ann Davis will be taking the Anchoress show out again in September. And our friend Gleb Collierdin, probably best known as the virtuoso pianist in I Am The Morning, has a new solo album coming out on the 21st of July featuring some chums including Gavin Harrison on the drums. It's called The Outland, and as the artwork suggests, is a hermit set free. I've been fortunate enough to hear this LP, and the opening track, Voyager, is 10 minutes, which is going to blow your mind. It's every piece of BBC incidental music and children's TV themes melded into one. It's absolutely amazing. And we'll be hearing all about Gleb's move to the UK and his new album in the next Casecope podcast, All Being Well. Gleb Collierdin, Mercurial. Keep supporting the Casecope podcast, please. Share, like, wherever you find it, and tell your friends. Cheers to top. <laughs>